to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Welcome back. This is Daria Brown, and I have with us this week Colette Ryan. She is an expert DIR training leader with ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, she is also the Parent Support Specialist at the DIR Institute in Livingston, New Jersey. She's a New York State endorsed infant mental health therapist and an infant mental health fellow at Montclair State University. And she's just been accepted into the PhD program at Fielding in the um, early infant and mental health PhD, right? It's infant and early childhood development. Yes. Yeah. So originally started by ICDL mm -hmm. and taken over by Fielding. So that is really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And your introduction makes me sound a lot cooler than I really am. <laughs> so <laughs> it was great to hear it. <laughs> well, that's our job here to make uh, our guests sound very important and special, which you all are, of course. <laughs> um, our topic today came up in some discussions around parents seeking support, either through ICDL's parent weekly support meeting, which, which I facilitate each week, and at the DIR home program. And parents that are new to the developmental individual differences relationship-based model, or DIR floor time, sometimes come in with ideas about where they want their children to be academically. And one of our jobs that comes up a lot is to really educate and inform about the early social, emotional, uh, or functional emotional developmental capacities as they're called in the DIR model, and how these early, quote unquote, skills precede academics. Mm -hmm. And I've done a couple of podcasts about this. Dr. Gil Tippy and I did one called Foundation Academics. Dr. Ira Glavinsky and I did one called Early Social Emotional Capacities, which I'll link to in the blog post for today. But we wanted to take it um, in a little bit of a different direction from the theory into more of the practice in how do we uh, teach academics when our kids aren't really there yet with those early capacities, developmental capacities. And Colette has some very creative ways of doing this. So let's start off with what do you see? Where do you go with it? it and I think if, it, if we go back to our FEDCs, those functional emotional developmental capacities, and watch the progression and think about what we can do in each of the capacities, it helps us to understand that while the real learning of academics happens once an individual is able to be symbolic and logical. There's a lot of things that we can do beforehand to set the stage, so to speak. Um, we, of course, we always need to make sure that our kiddos feel safe. 
thinking about that quest for safety in the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, we want to make sure that we're, we're allowing our children to feel safe in their environment. So we may have to adjust the lights or bring our volume down or provide manipulatives so that their hands have something to do. So first of all, always safety. And then we can think about capacity one where we have regulation. One of the most beautiful parts of regulation is attunement. How can I be attuned with the individual that I'm with? How can I understand their need and adjust myself to make this that wonderful interaction? You know, I love the term ooey gooey. When we have these beautiful ooey gooey interactions together, um, we have them when we're attuned. So we know that when a kiddo might not be feeling quite their best, if I go into that interaction with a kiddo and I'm, I'm my usual self with my big affect, that kiddo is going to say, no, Colette, I'm not, I can't do you today because I'm not feeling all that great and your affect is too high. So I would have to attune to what that kiddo might need in that moment. And this is where I'll refer listeners to our podcast we did last time on cue reading and cue sending, mm -hmm. which has to do with that attunement piece. Yes. We have to be able to look at cues to know how we're going to be that best interactive partner. Some, sometimes the cues are really, really subtle, though we have to really look for them. And it can be something as simple as just turning a head and that tells us, oh, you're a little too much for me right now, or I can't process everything that's going on. One of the things that we talk about quite a bit at our home program, the, um, the Floor Time Home Program run by ICDL, and we help parents understand the concept of pacing. Such an important piece, because I could talk really fast and you could understand what I'm saying, but it would be really hard for you to really retain everything that I'm saying. But if I slowed my pacing down and allowed you to keep up with me, oh, now we can have a much more in sync interaction. So just thinking about, am I losing my child when I go too fast? When I throw that ball, do they really look where the ball went or do they appear confused? If my kiddo appears confused, I can probably think, oh, I need to attune my pacing a little bit better. And maybe I just want to toss the ball instead of throwing it. So think about that attunement piece. Think about your pacing, how to get that just right. And that leads us into engagement, that beautiful time when we can both be together on the same thing. And I know, Daria and I, you, you and I talked about earlier uh, about the difference between joint attention in engagement and a shared experience in engagement. And we have the wonderful work of Dr. Peter Mundy from many years ago, who just told us how beautiful joint attention is, how we really want to achieve that beautiful joint attention. And I would love for us to take that work just a little bit further. Joint intention would be 
the two of us are looking at the blocks together. A shared experience would be we're both having fun with the blocks. So when I explain this to people, I talk about myself and my husband at a Dave Matthews conference or concert. I love Dave Matthews. My husband, not quite so much. So I made him go to a Dave Matthews concert with me once. I had this great experience. He was there, but he didn't have that same experience. So yes, we had joint attention. We were both looking at Dave Matthews, listening to the music, but did we have a shared experience? Did we both experience joy? excitement. No, his experience was much different. He couldn't wait for it to be over with. And I never wanted it to finish. So let's think about how can we go from just that joint attention to the shared experience. And there, there are so many, so many things just in what you've said so far in the first two capacities where, you know, first of all, we well, even before that, wanting our kids to feel safe mm -hmm. and getting that regulation, shared attention, getting that engagement with them where we're sharing this experience together. These are all necessary precursors in our children to be able to do any kind of academics. And I can give an example, which might be getting ahead in the FEDCs, but just to break it up a little bit. During lockdown, our son has been doing virtual school and they have these little worksheets for mathematics because it's, it's hard to, uh, it's more, maybe more of a guide for the parents because mm -hmm. at school they might do little mathematical exercises like um, we have this many things and oh, what if I take two away, uh, that kind of thing. And my son had absolutely no interest whatsoever. He was sitting there, but he's restless and, you know, he, he feels safe. He's regulated when he starts because he sees his friends and he sees the people on the screen that he knows. And then all of a sudden this worksheet is put in front of him and trying to do this with him. So A, it might be that he feels like it's too hard and he's bored or whatever, but about the third or fourth time they did it, all of a sudden, it was a sheet that was just a grid of lines. And this is a parking lot. And then they had a sheet with cars that were different colors to cut out. Well, my son has his Mario Kart Hot Wheels cars. Mm -hmm. So we brought the Hot Wheels cars and parked them in the parking lot. And then 10, how many cars are there? 10 cars. Oh, two have to drive over here to the store or whatever it was. How many are left? Let's count them. And all of a sudden, full engagement, mm -hmm. full, not only joint attention, but shared experience, really enjoying figuring out how many cars are there, how many cars are going. And just that concept of following his lead, which is part of getting that joint attention and shared experience. He loves Mario Kart right now. That's all he's doing all day long is playing all these Mario Kart video games, talking about Mario Kart, mm -hmm. got him some Mario Kart figures. He's playing with them in the bathtub. He's playing with them with his Play-Doh. He's playing with them while we're having um, a meal and talking about all the stuff. And so getting that, I guess that's a little bit of a math example. Yeah, and, and it's a perfect example to, to take us from he felt safe 
He was regulated because you had attuned to him. And now we've got this great engagement because you helped him to make meaning of that grid. That grid is now a parking lot. Well, a parking lot, I can understand. A grid, mm, I, I don't have a lot of meaning making around a grid. And, you and I should I should just say I said grid. They never used the term grid. It's just something I said, but it's a good point you brought up because we also did a podcast on meaning making, which I will link to in the blog post. Yes. And making meaning of what that paper was for him by including something of interest to him, something that has meaning for him, his cars. So now you were able to do math work around something that he really likes. And that's what we're talking about today is how can we put academics into um, our interactions with kiddos who might not quite be at those higher capacities? Well, we can do it around their interests. We can do it around things that excite them. If your child is really, really into Mario, Super Mario Kart, and you print out one of those Super Mario Kart pictures and suddenly it's hanging on a tree outside. Now, when we're looking outside, there's a red car. How did it get there? So now we can have that surprise of where did it come from? And it's a red car. Maybe tomorrow there's a blue one. Oop. It's different. So now we're working on colors and we're working on same and different. We can move ourselves up to capacity three with opening and closing of circles of communication, much like what you had done with your son and the cars. Oh, this is a parking lot. Oh, I can go get my cars. I'll put them in. Oh. You have eight cars here. Oh, two have to go. Oh no, how many are left? So now we're having this back and forth flow around something that's interested, interesting to him. And it, he's invested in it. He wants to continue because you're talking about something that he really likes. If the, the, the pictures were outside the window hanging from a tree. Oh, whoa. And I'm sure he's going to react to it. So there's another circle. We might say, there's two of them. And he's going to say, oh, yeah, one, two. So we've got another circle. So we can keep those circles of communication going around interests. And the interests can lead us to those non-traditional learning, Legos. There are so many things we can do with Legos and there's so many kiddos who are interested in Legos. Just this week, I had suggested to a family whose child was interested in the Legos, but he didn't know what to do with them. He had no concept of, okay, I've got this pile of Legos, but I can't initiate an idea. So there was a little bit of a difficulty capacity for, what do I do with them? So I suggested taking a picture of a favorite person, a favorite animal, something the kiddo was interested in. And, and you make a, a tower of your Duplos or Legos 
and you glue your picture on there. When your glue is dried, you, you slice it, the picture up. And now in order to make the picture appear again, you've got to stack them up. So now we're learning to stack and the purpose of stacking by, by the picture by now. Oh, look, now I can see the picture again. That is really cool. I never thought of that idea, but if they want to see that picture again, it's like a puzzle, but mm -hmm. it's with Legos instead mm -hmm. of a flat puzzle. Right. Not to negate the idea at all, because the whole point is that we find what matches with the child. But my son would immediately want to rip the pages off of the Legos because that would bother him that it's stuck on there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yep. And there's a lovely thing called decoupage that makes it very difficult to peel them off. Oh. So, so uh, try getting some decoupage. So you glue it on and then you decoupage over the top of it, which is like a thick glue. And as it dries, it adheres the top. So, you, so he wouldn't be able to like pull on the picture to peel it off. I will put the link in mm -hmm. the uh, blog post so people can look it up if they're interested. Yeah, and, and at this fourth capacity where we're shared problem solving, going back to the example of the cars, we had a whole bunch of cars there, but let's just say we didn't have 10 cars, but there were 10 parking spots. Oh, no. Where are we going to get more cars? Hmm. And having to figure out either to go get the cars and bring them back wherever the rest of the cars were or mm -hmm. figuring out what else we could use. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I'm reaching over to my toy box here. Um, I am a, a hoarder of anything recyclable. So I always have some things around when I'm playing with kiddos. But this is another one of my new favorite ones. And but you need 10 of them. You can use five, depending on where your child is, as far as um, understanding of numerals. But if you can glue these on top of each other and, and so you would have five of them and you number them. Now, as the child puts the car into the parking spot, oh, parking spot number one is full. Now number two is full. And, and so you can um, work on number skills also as he parks the cars to go along with your son's love of the Mario Kart. And hopefully we're not whizzing too fast, but going into the fifth capacity where it's more symbolic and imaginary, a few weeks ago, my son was requesting, so we were driving the Mario Kart cars on his Mario Kart track that he got for Christmas. And, you know, you turn it on and it goes and it whizzes the car around it. He always likes them to crash or, or they usually fly off. And he says, needs to get fixed. He has a flat tire or something. Mm. Mama, make the garage. <laughs> He's always telling me what to do. Yeah. And I'll try and get him to help. So we had this garage and and I was just saying, I it just reminded me when you said those spots, I said, oh, he has to go in dock number one. Uh, that's where they change the tires. And then the next car would come and say, oh, he goes in dock number two. And I was just calling them one and two arbitrarily without labels. But because he's getting into the symbolic now, he was cool with that. And he did that. We interacted in that way for quite a while. And it mm -hmm. kept him really interested. And even though it was repetitive, like um, make the car go around, it crashes, 
and it goes to the parking garage. He kept doing the same sequence, change it up a little bit because it was a different character each time. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would say, oh, the tire dock is full. There's no room in the garage. He has to wait. Hmm. Or, or, oh, what are we going to do? And see if he comes up with, he has to wait or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. where's the waiting area? Uh, just cause putting in little problems to solve together. I, I love that you brought up the repetition piece because very often we're afraid of the repetition. Uh, and, and I love to tell parents as many times as you want to do that repetition over and over again, it's you're doing more good than any harm that you could ever think about doing. Have the repetitions, do it over and over again. If, if you think about um, when we get in our cars, so I we've been in and out of our cars for some of us for a very long time. We, we know when we get in the car, exactly what we have to do. And the motor plan comes so easily to us and we're successful at it. Oh, I backed out of my driveway. I did it again. But if somebody traded my car for a motorcycle, I I wouldn't know what to do. I might be fearful. I might not want to go out uh, uh, to the store because, oh gosh, this is a motorcycle and I don't know what to do here. I may dysregulate. So thinking about our kiddos, he wants to play with Mario Kart and you're going to play with Mario Kart over and over and over again. If you insisted on bringing in uh, Disney princesses, it's not going to work. He doesn't have a motor plan for that. He has no ideas for that. And that's going to be stressful. So go ahead with those repetitions. You're going to know when the repetition is just right and everything's going good and you can change it just a little bit and and you're going to work on that change and then maybe a few days later you can change it again a little tiny bit to expand it so don't be worried about repetitions go for it I did a podcast with Dr. Joshua Fader about repetition Mm -hmm. and we talked about the process of our children needing to assimilate what they learn and repeat it and practice. And, and just like we do when we learn new skills, um, our children are not aliens. They're human beings just like us. They develop along the same trajectory, yep. although they might take a little bit of a different path here and there. Development is development. I like how you, you brought us back to a different aspect of pacing because mm-hmm. really that, that expansion piece and changing one little thing at a time is about pacing too, because if we keep rushing our children through and they need to learn these academics, like my podcast with Dr. Tippy a couple of weeks ago on good education, we're ramming the facts down the kids' throats, like get these facts, get these facts. We're forgetting about helping them think and helping them be problem solvers. So the more they can be comfortable in their game of choice. So Mario Kart, we can vary it up within Mario Kart in mm-hmm. so many infinite different ways. Mm-hmm. And in the floor time video I did a few weeks back, I think early January or late December after speaking with Andrea Davis about my video with my son, I showed an example of how I tried to apply some of the suggestions she gave me. And one of the things I did was, oh, I brought in the Thomas trains with Mario play mm-hmm. and I was pretending I was the train and 
I was the voice of the train commentating the race that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, you could see like, he's, he's like, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know if I like this, but mama's affect and I feel safe with mama. So I'm, I'm curious what she's doing. She's talking about my race. So it's kind of fun. And then what he ended up doing was grabbing a different train and handing it to me. And I said, oh, is this the new commentator now? Okay, so-and-so, you're taking a break. Here's our new commentator. Mm -hmm. And he was able to let me introduce something that used to be his familiar, fun, repetitious game from a few years ago, Thomas Trains, which he hardly plays anymore, into the game with the new thing, which is the Mario Kart characters. And that might have been a challenge for him a year ago, but he's starting to get into it. And, and so it was interesting, but had it been the PJ masks thing over there, which, which was his thing in between Thomas. And (laughs) I, I, I brought, I said, Oh, the PJ, I forget what it's called the rocket seek or something or other. I brought it over and I said, Oh, he can ride in here. No, he pushed it to the side. Nope. That is not being a part of this game today. And he pushed it out of the way. So similarly, like you said, I, I liked your example of a motorcycle because we're used to driving cars and all of a sudden we have to drive a motorcycle. It's a good way for parents to think, like have that empathy because we assume that our kids can do stuff or they're being stubborn or they don't want to do something and I need to make them do it and they have to learn. But we want to facilitate their learning and support their learning, not force them in areas that's going to just dysregulate them again and go right back down to where they don't feel safe and they're not regulated. Mm-hmm. And there are times that their cognitive load, their brain energy um, is, is going to be okay with allowing PJ mask in because it's a really different idea. And now I've got to process this new thing. Um, but, and there's going to be days where I can do that because my cognitive load allows me to. But if he's tired, hasn't eaten anything, if he had a stressful morning, he might not be able to allow PJ mask in that day because his cognitive load is spread too thin now. And I don't have enough energy for that new idea, mom. I've got to stay with with this idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a little bit about going through the FEDCs into the sixth capacity, functional, emotional, developmental capacities, FEDCs, where it's uh, going from that fifth of emotional thinking and and imaginary play into logical thinking in the sixth capacity, among other things, I'll put a link to the developmental capacities blog Mm -hmm. as well, so people can dive into it a bit more. This is where kids start to really be able to get into some academic pieces, because they, they might be now reading, they might be starting to write to mm-hmm. a certain degree. And we want to work on their comprehension of what they're reading, not just decoding, mm-hmm. but they'll start to have these ideas. And, and we can start to say, you know, here's the beginning, the middle, the end of the story that they've sort of picked up through play in the fourth capacity. But now we're putting them into these situations and sequences. And does it make sense? If we don't have all those other capacities cooking, so to speak, mm-hmm. before we, we get into that kind of thing, like we just talked about, they'll drop right back down. They won't feel safe. They'll be anxious. 
And this is, I think, where a lot of the frustration has come in with virtual schooling in the last year for some of our parents, because they really want their kids to be doing the academic learning and the academic learning is not interesting to them. Either they're completely bored or they're completely aggravated and, and flustered and dysregulated or whatever. Right, right. We know that the best learning happens in a multi-sensory experience. Well, if I'm just sitting at a computer and looking at something, I don't have any other senses that I'm going to be using to understand this material. Uh, and so that the degree of attending goes down, the degree of interest go down, and the degree of, of retaining the information goes way down. We need to, to be able to provide multi sensory experiences around learning. And, and we can do it and still attend to each of the FEDCs. So if we think about the first two capacities, capacities one and two, we know we've already gotten safety taken care of. So if we think of one and two, that's typically the period of sensory play. Things make a sound, things feel like something visually, and that, that's when we have that wonderful sensory play. So we can start out with sensory play with a little one. And maybe we have sand. We might have a bin with sand to play in. So we've started that experience. We're starting a shared experience around the sensory play of sand. And then when we get to capacities three and four, now we can start thinking about functional play, playing with an item the way it was meant to be played with. Well, what if in that sand, we now have plastic alphabet letters? So now we've got some, another thing added. We've got that interest in the sand. We've, we're taking care of the sensory system and now we're putting in alphabet letters. Parents are always interested in kiddos starting those pre-academics and at least knowing the alphabet letters. So now we have them in our sand. So exciting. Well, now what if we get to capacities five and six and we can turn the sand and the alphabet letters into a treasure box, a treasure bin. Oh, we found this, we dug up the sand and we found all these letters. This is our treasure. So we put a little bit of jewels on top of the sensory bin. Uh, we can add some shovels. We can maybe can add some seashells, um, a little bit of pirate something or other to add that to it. So we've taken what we started out with as sensory play. We've moved to functional play and added that little bit of academics to it. And then we're gonna move on again up to the, um, the pretend play. By now we're going to dig for them. We can then take that a little further and do some matching. Oh, you dug up the A. Where does it go on our puzzle or on our paper? So now we've taken the sensory play, the functional play, and, and the pretend play, and we've moved it on to now we can add more of the academics. It doesn't have to be sitting at a table and you need to learn these alphabet letters. What letter is this? What letter is that? 
It's on, that's only one way of one of our sensory systems. But if we have immersed everything in it, now those alphabets are gonna make more sense to me because I have an emotional experience. I've had a shared experience around them with somebody else. And just to give another example of that for parents who might think, oh, that's nice, but my kid doesn't like sand. My son loves Play-Doh. Yep. So he has a fidget kit at school, Play-Doh in it. And mm -hmm. even as um, I'm getting food ready or whatever, he might be watching YouTube kids and he always has his Play-Doh and he's squeezing it, he's putting stuff in it, he's doing whatever. But now we can make letters out of the Play-Doh. So you know, mama, can you help me? So he wants me to roll it into the long things. And then I'll say, okay, let's make an A or whatever, and start to shape the letters. And not only is that um, maybe the experience from finding the letters in the sand or whatever, making the letters might be a little bit more difficult, but it's also a good um, activity that occupational therapists give as well to help with getting fine motor going because our kids, you know, they develop their gross motor, then they develop their fine motor. And until they can work with bigger and clunkier, it'll be harder to get to that point where they're down to a writing tool and writing. So I know that's um, one of the activities that OTs have given us for pre-writing. So where would you take that into higher capacities? with Play-Doh and making letters and... And, and making letters. And, and, and I'm thinking that the Play-Doh, there's so many different kits or ideas for using Play-Doh. Um, what if there was a way to make a Play-Doh Mario Kart? Mm -hmm. and, and now we can spell out Mario Kart with alphabet letters and also have a Mario Kart made out of, um, made out of Play-Doh. I have, uh, again, always have toys next to me. In my, I have um, Paw Patrol characters that mm -hmm. are all in my putty. So I might first have started to play with the putty with a kiddo, just having the sensory experience around the putty. And then one day they come in and, uh-oh, <gasps> oh no, they're stuck. Oh, and now we can problem solve. How are we going to get them out? And if they finally get them all out, they're going to see that there's actually two of each one of them. So I have two, two, two all in here. And so now we can do matching. We can take it up to the higher level. If we take your idea of the letters, now I can help them, the kiddo spell out the letters of rubble, rubble. I can have them spell out rubble. Um, or, oh, another great one is what if there's a big rubble and a little rubble? Cause I do have two rubbles. I do have a bigger one in a different spot. Um, and so now we have to figure out big and little. Oh, one is too big. So I can work on opposites or they're stuck in. We gotta get them out mm -hmm. so we can work on those prepositions. There's, there's so many things that we can do to set the stage for learning academics, but through things kiddos are interested in. It doesn't all have to be, let's sit down at a table and learn these pre-academics. I, I, um, 
I think sometimes we as parents feel that we have to, we have to teach them these things. It's, it's something we have to do. But if we can think of ways of doing it so kiddos want to do it, that's where the magic happens. That's where academics now become, ooh, let's do that again, instead of, oh, that again. <laughs> and the piece about Morgan and Melissa from Rebecca School about mm -hmm. how we need to experience feelings to understand mm -hmm. what they are. And similarly, we need to experience, you know, this math concept, like memorizing two plus two equals four doesn't mean anything unless we understand. This is one thing. This is another thing. This is another thing. And there are three things there. And what if I take one thing away and you have to have some concept of mm -hmm. this represents this, which is, you know, being a little bit symbolic and all of that, but that experience of moving the items. And when my son had to actually move his cars and he had cars to touch as opposed to just screen thinking paper right. and and pencil mm -hmm. and, and thinking about your grid again and instead of um having your cars go on it and doing addition that way what if we used it as a way to track how many colored legos we had and so now we can talk about um, the, the concept of each number and how much it's worth. You know, we know that that squiggly line that wraps around itself, that means this many. But if we can show a kiddo the number two and then two squares, one for each Lego, oh, that's two of that. And um, instead of just drilling a kiddo on, say, two, two, identify the two, but do we know the quantity of two? Do we know what two feels like? Two Lego blocks is not as much as 10 Lego blocks. And, and giving that visual and, and the, that hand-on experience of teaching that academic without actually having to sit to learn it. And when you spoke about pulling the Paw Patrol characters out of the, the slime or whatever it was, putty, and putting them in and different types of things. You reminded me of shameless self-promotion. I will be doing a presentation at the Rebecca School DIR conference with my son's speech and language pathologist. And she did this amazing virtual session with him. And he was engaged for the full 45 minutes. And my jaw was on the floor because he doesn't sit for more than five minutes and he needs to move around. He was so engaged with her. So we're, we're talking about this session and techniques to use over virtual sessions in speech language pathology. What she used using his interests is he had some language goals around descriptors. She wanted him to describe things. So she had laminated Mario characters. He then had his dinky cars with the same characters. And then at the grocery store, they also had a couple of plush Mario Kart things that we had gotten him over the last couple of times. So she was showing the character Toad, which looks like a mushroom. And then he all of a sudden initiated and, and brought his car. Mm -hmm. And he said something about the hat. And she's like, oh, what's that? And then she's like, oh, you have the same thing as me kind of thing, but yours is different. And then I, I said, hey, 
go get the go get your other one and and he brought back his plush round 3d soft toad is the name of the character who looks like a mushroom so then she had him describing like this one's smaller this one's flat this one's bigger it's round it's soft this one's hard so because he's interested um, she could sort of prompt him to describe in, in a semi-structured type of floor time way to describe different items, um, but making it motivating. Mm -hmm. And then there were some other cool things she did that will be uh, left for suspense for the mm -hmm. presentation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there are so many resources out there for moms and dads and caregivers to think about how can we do things creative things like that how can we take an idea of a skill we want to teach and 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 make it into an activity that my kiddo is really going to connect with and and desire to to learn all of those pre-academic concepts of in and out top bottom we can do so much with them with play i also love to use cooking activities because Cooking is its own motivator. Mm, this is going to be good when I'm done at the end. And, and we can talk about only having to put one of the red measuring cups in. Okay. One. Oh, but the blue measuring cup, we've got to do two of those and, and pouring that in. And so thinking about how are we going to think outside of the box? How are we going to teach this thing and, and do it in a way that's going to connect? with kiddos. And I think that's the big takeaway is we need to start thinking outside of the box. It doesn't have to happen sitting in a chair and drilling. It needs to happen by multi-sensory experiences and having those be a shared experience, not just joint attention. Yeah, and, and just making sure the child is motivated and even mm -hmm. simple things that I would never have thought of. My son now is super excited to change his name on Zoom every day. Mm -hmm. So one day he's Koopa Troopa, one day he's Gold Mario, one day he's Toad, then he's Toadette. <laughs> so he's naming himself Mario Kart characters. Some of the other kids in the class I notice are making up their own names that aren't necessarily characters, they're names that they thought of. And so that has so many academic pieces to it in itself. It has the, the coordination practice of clicking in the right place to bring mm -hmm. up the box to rename. Then you have to find the letters on the keyboard. Then you have to know how to spell what you're going to say. And all of that is a motivating way to get them to do academic type activities. Yeah. And, and what a lovely way to develop a sense of self. Oh, who am I going to be today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. And I believe that sense of stealth self starts to creep in in FEDC 4? In 4. In capacity 4, we really want kiddos well, to, to have this lovely sense of themselves and what they can do to impact the world. One of my favorite examples is the kiddo who keeps dropping their spoon on the floor and we keep going down to pick it up. That's such a joy for them. They're going to laugh. They're going to be excited. They're going to keep doing it. We're going to have social referencing because they realize the power that they have over us. And that's, that's such a beautiful development in with kiddos is to know they're separate from us 
and they can make so many wonderful things happen. And we're going to wrap up, but I just want to refer people back to Melissa and Morgan and I spoke about that ability to say no and to allow our children the power to say no. So that's part of that identity. And, and I like how you brought it back to the child in the high, in the high chair throwing the spoon down because that's where neurotypical kids start to develop this skill. Mm -hmm. And then they go through the quote unquote, terrible twos. No, 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 no. they're not terrible. They're fabulous. (laughs) They're They're developing that sense of like, I can say no to something. And we want our children to do that. We don't want compliant robots that do whatever they're told, because what if somebody comes along and asks them to do something that's not very ideal for our kids. So developing that sense of self and identity and, and ability to say no. And and I love how Dr. Greenspan said, always let your child have as much control as possible. So you might want them to do the virtual session, but within that, you can give them lots of choices that they can say no to. Oh, do you want to have this name or a different name? Do you want, um, I don't know, whatever. Do you want to sit in this chair or that chair or a different chair? Just whatever ways you can give them control to make choices over. Do you want Play-Doh today? Do you want sand? Do you want this color? What is it that you're thinking? Giving them choices Mm -hmm. so they can exercise their sense of self and their power over making decisions Mm -hmm. and thinking. And it can be something as simple as, do you want juice or water in your cup while you're in school today? And, and as Dr. Tippy says on that four on the floor, he likes the idea of choice, but he also wants to make sure we don't just make them think there's only two dancers either. So, well, we could have juice, we could have water or giving options and letting them know that they can think of a third choice too. Um, Yeah. And it, and it can be something simple. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose in your home. It can just be something simple, but now they've got the feeling of the power. Ooh, I've got the power. (laughs) Yeah. So I hope that parents, practitioners, whoever might be listening, any kind of caregivers, grandmas, relatives, aunts, uncles, siblings (laughs) who might be listening, have some ideas and, uh, and certainly teachers, because a lot of parents will say, oh, that sounds exhausting. I don't have the time or energy to think up all these creative ways to do these things with my kids. But I feel that a lot too, but you'll find that things just spontaneously pop up and you can just kind of go with it in the moment. And just having that openness to think, I don't have to sit here and ram these facts down my child's throat. I can help them learn in a way where we are sharing an experience together, not just mm-hmm. having that joint attention that you talked about, but sharing the experience together and making it fun. So hopefully people took some good ideas away from this. I will write everything up and put those links that we talked about in the blog post at affectautism.com. This was Colette Ryan. Thank you so much. And tune in again next week. Yay. <laughs> Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.